So grateful you're with us this morning. I'm Pastor Thomas. For those of you that haven't met yet, others call me Mr. T. Whatever is easier for you, all right? Hey, we are in a sermon series right now called Remarkable. And in this series, we're walking through the gospel of Mark together. In the series, we're hoping that as we walk through a book that describes the life and times of Jesus, one of the four, known as the Gospels, that we will understand each of us in our own way, maybe afresh or anew all over again, just how, how remarkable Jesus is. Not only was, but is still today. Let's talk about Mark chapter 6 this morning. How many of you have ever watched the Food Network show, Chopped? Any Chopped fans out there? Uh, in this particular show, if you don't know about it, chefs go head-to-head to create the most delectable, delectable? That's what I do to my dishes. Delectable dishes possible. <laughs> the catch uh, in this particular show is that each round, as they kind of knock each other out, uh, they are presented with some rather uh, interesting and random, sometimes disgusting ingredients that they have to incorporate into the dish that they are creating. For example, imagine making spaghetti with squid ink. Or how about stir fry with pickled pig lips? Or how would you feel about making some cutlets using goat brains? I just really want to get you hungry. I'm amazed though at how the chefs in the show can actually pull it off. They can make these delectable dishes with such weird, random, and limited ingredients. And if that impresses you, well, I have a story today that I think will just blow your mind. Because in this story, Jesus feeds not just a couple of judges on a panel. He feeds over 5,000 people. And the ingredients he uses to do it, they probably should be on an episode of Chopped. Because they weren't, they weren't that great. Let me read the story to you. Mark 6, if you have a Bible there, beginning in verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, hey, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place. Let's get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized who they were, and they ran on foot from all the towns, and they got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is such a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus said, you give them something to eat. They said to him, well, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups and on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven. Jesus gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples and distributed them to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all, and all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken leftovers. The number of the men who had eaten that day was 5,000. Instead of just reading this particular story to you, I thought it might be cool to see what it might have actually looked like. So watch this.
There were thousands of them. They must have followed us. more will he give to you? That's how it looked. Maybe not. Pretty amazing story, though, nonetheless. Let's talk about it a little bit. One of my favorite biblical scholars is a man by the name of Walter Brueggemann. Uh, he's a little, gray-haired, 80-year-old man, but the most insightful and passionate man I've ever met and had the pleasure of studying under. When he stands up for a lecture, you're thinking, oh, great, here we go. And then suddenly you're like, oh, great, here we go. He talks about something called the scarcity narrative. Let me unpack that just a little bit for you. It might be a little academic, so hang tight, all right? Stay with me. In the Bible, there are two dominant yet polar opposite storylines that play out from the very beginning to the very end. We're going to call the one the scarcity narrative and the other the abundance narrative. The scarcity narrative says this, there's never enough. Whether it's time or money or energy or resources or love, there's, just, there's never enough of them. Never enough for you and definitely never enough for everyone. It's as if the world is, is a big pie 
And we each have to get the biggest piece of pie that we possibly can. Because sooner or later, it's going to run out. And because there is a lack and shortage of everything, we, we have to cling to and hold on tight to everything we have. And more than just hold on to what we have, we better hoard what we have. Because who knows what's going to happen tomorrow. And I need to get mine. I need to make sure that I have enough, not only for today, but for all the other days. We're going to depict this narrative through this little meme right here. So you want a golden ticket, do you? Too bad. There's only seven, right? It's a limited number of things. That's a scarcity narrative. The abundance narrative says just the opposite. That narrative states there's always enough. In fact, there's plenty to go around. See, God has designed the world so that everyone can have what they need as long as we only take what we need. In fact, if we're willing to share our things and not just store them up for ourselves, there will always be enough for everybody. In fact, if we were to live that way, there's going to be a bunch of leftovers at the end of the whole thing. You see, in God's economy, you don't have to fight or hoard or work 70 hours a week or, or buy more storage units or build bigger security systems because God is the God of abundance. In him, there's always enough. Enough for you, enough for your family, enough for this city, enough for the whole world. There's enough for everyone. So we'll depict that narrative through this little meme right here. Wait, there's more? Scarcity narrative versus abundance narrative. But here's the thing, friends. If we're brutally honest, the scarcity narrative is the one that we live in. The scarcity narrative is the one that pervades every aspect of our life. Let me give you a couple of examples. The scarcity narrative has permeated our understanding of God. See, so many people believe there is a limit to his love and his grace and his kindness and his goodness. There are certain sins that cannot be forgiven and certain types of people that will never be restored. You know what that is? That's the scarcity mentality. That's the scarcity narrative. As I've already hinted at, the scarcity narrative has permeated our understanding of our resources, our time, our money, uh, all the other stuff that we have. So what we do is we store it all up instead of sacrificing it for others. It results in us spending all of our time and energy on ourselves because if, if we don't spend our own money on ourselves, if we don't take that family vacation right now, if we don't do all the things the kids want to do right now, well, there's going to be no time left for us to do what we want. We can't do what everybody else wants. We better do what we want because we got a limited number of minutes in the day. That's a scarcity mentality. The scarcity mentality has even permeated our imaginations. That is why we cannot figure out a better way to solve the differences we have with other countries outside of bombing them. We'll just nuke them. You're living out of a scarcity mentality. You think you've run out of options. You have not. Scarcity is how the world works, from Main Street to Wall Street. There's a limited, restricted, finite amount of everything, and you better get yours before somebody else takes it. Reminds me of a study that I uh, read about in college. Research shows that when you put the phrase limited edition next to any product, it sells 30% more than it would otherwise. Limited edition that! Limited edition this, on sale only for a limited time. What is that? That's the scarcity mentality. They're literally playing off of the scarcity mentality. There's only so many of these things. You better hurry up and get it. So I thought we'd start promoting church that way. 
like limited sermons or maybe the offering. You can only give for a limited time. The next two minutes, hurry and give. But here's the thing. You see, the scarcity narrative will never result in a healthy, happy, safe, peaceful, life-giving community. It's designed to keep people on red alert. It forces us to be productive and restless and, and paranoid and jealous and insecure. Sorry, the lifestyle you want, yeah, we sold out. That's the scarcity narrative. But that's not, that's not how God works. That's not who God is. God is a God of abundance and plenty and extra Think back to the beginning of all creation, the beginning of the book itself, right? God called everything so good back at the beginning because creation was this gift that just kept on giving. Everything in creation was this fertile, fruitful. It was purposed. It was productive. There was no sense in the beginning that things were going to run out or that the waters were going to run dry. It was just the opposite. This thing is going to keep going this way because everything is taking care of everything else. It was this place where everything and everyone was going to flourish. And things are so good after he makes it all that when God is done with it, he literally kicks up his feet and takes a nap. We call it the Sabbath. But on the seventh day of creation, the Bible says God took a break. He created rest. He introduced the idea of rest. Again, it's called Sabbath. Sabbath is far more than just a day off during the week or like a small rest after a hard day's work. Sabbath is a lifestyle. It's a proclamation that you're making to the world. I don't have to keep working. I don't have to keep striving to get more. What I have is good. What I have is enough. And if I actually take a day off, the world's going to keep spinning and I'm still going to have enough on the following day. That's what Sabbath is. Sabbath is saying God is a God of abundance and what I need comes from him. So today I'm just going to rest and rejoice in him. I don't need to keep trying to get more stuff. Sabbath is a break from the obsession that we have with production, the addiction that we have to consumption. But you see, working 24-7, that's what the scarcity system requires of you. The scarcity system wants exhausted people. Because exhausted people will never seek to change the system. You with me? You're so tired trying to hoard and gather more stuff because you're afraid it's all going to run out and you're not going to get yours. You have no other energy to do anything else or to think outside of that box. Oh, but that's just not true with God. He wants you to rest. He wants you to rejoice in his abundance. See, this narrative of abundance is not just in creation. It continues. Stay with me now. In the life of a man named Abram. Listen to the promise that God makes to the first man in a long line of those that God is going to use to change the world. Listen to this promise, Genesis 12, 3. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. All people on earth. Think about that. Is that a statement of scarcity or a statement of abundance? There is not a statement. It doesn't, it doesn't say, you know what, Abram, there's only enough for you and your little clan. You guys better not get too big. You better not take this thing too far because we're going to run out. This is just for you, man. Keep it. Store it. Protect it. 
What does he say? I'm going to bless you so much, it's going to spill over to all the peoples. I'm going to give you so much because I'm a God of abundance, he says. It's going to go everywhere to everyone. Don't you just love that? This abundance, abundance, it's so good. It keeps replenishing itself. That's how God created it to be. But this beautiful narrative of abundance is rudely interrupted in Egypt. Now, I've got nothing against present-day Egypt. I've never been there, but I imagine it's a beautiful place. I'm not talking about Egypt right now. I'm talking about the Egypt in the scripture. See, in the biblical narrative, Egypt is a place where the abundance narrative that they've been living in for so long comes to a screeching halt. And the abundance narrative that we were designed to live in is replaced with another narrative, the one we're calling the scarcity narrative. If you aren't familiar with the story, basically it's this. The great, 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 great grandchildren of Abram The guy promised to bless all people. Well, they're now living in Egypt. They're thriving in Egypt. They're they're flourishing and they're blessing the whole land of Egypt because they're living out the promise of Genesis 12, three. It's coming to fruition. But a new Pharaoh, a new leader comes into power. And this leader knows nothing of the abundant promise to Abram and he knows nothing of the abundance he's received from God's people. And so what this new Pharaoh does is he introduces the scarcity, the scarcity, the scarcity narrative. And it is very scarcity as well. You're getting a lot of new words today from me. You're welcome. The Pharaoh believes there is not enough to go around. You people are becoming too big. You people are taking up too much, too many of our resources. And we can't have you people out there taking from us because there's a limited quantity And so I'm going to enslave you. I'm going to limit what you can live with. I'm going to take things from you and make you fight for every meal. They're given so little for themselves in Egypt. And when Pharaoh punishes them, do you remember how he does it? He removes even more from them. He takes even more of their resources. So they have to live in an even greater uh, mindset of scarcity. Pharaoh is directly undermining God's promise of provision. He is trying to tell the people, there is not enough. There's just not enough. He is making the people slaves to scarcity. And even after God's people are rescued and freed from Egypt, they are not able to break free from this mindset. God's people are marching into a place called the promised land. And do you remember the depictions and the analogies and the language used to describe that land? Was it scarcity or was it a place of abundance? It is flowing, it says, with milk and honey and good things. There is more there than you could even ask or imagine. So as they're marching uh, their, their way to this place, they've just left Egypt, physically speaking, but they obviously haven't left Egypt's mentality. Because as they're walking into the promised land, or trying to get to the promised land, they get hungry. In fact, they get rather hangry, if you will. Anyone who has a toddler understands this concept, right? It's like hungry and angry all together, bad combo. And it happens like every hour on the hour, does it not? We'll take a road trip to Albuquerque. It's like, we're hungry again. Like, you're hungry again? You just had like three kids meals in the back. I just pumped you full of chips and whatever. You're hungry again? That's what God must be thinking in this moment. The people complain, we're hungry. We're out in the middle of the desert. We're out in the middle of nowhere and we're hungry. God's been thinking, you're hungry again? Just anyway. But listen to how the story plays itself out. Exodus 16. Moses said to the people, this is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need 
take an omer, kind of a measuring device, if you would. Let's say it's a cup full for each person that you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much and some little. When they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much. The one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until the morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. You see what's happening here? God's people have lived so long underneath the Pharaoh's mindset of scarcity, they can't even fathom an abundant narrative. They can't even fathom that God would provide for you what you need every single day. They can't even fathom a world where I'm not fighting and hoarding and clawing for every last meal. And so they take the food, even though they're told not to, they take more than they needed, more than they were allowed. They try to bank it, store it, hoard it, hold on to it. And what happens to it? It rots out. It's filled with maggots because that's what the scarcity mentality does to us. It rots us. It rots our world. It rots our stuff. And I wish that I could just shake my head at Pharaoh and be like, you fool, scarcity narrative, how could you? I wish I could just look at the Israelites and shake my finger and be like, you guys can't even figure it out. And yet here I am living right in the middle of the scarcity narrative. I'm a, I'm a disciple of scarcity. I see it in my own life. On one hand, I wanna believe that God has enough for everyone but on the other hand, I'm, I'm just not sure. So I stockpile more of it into different checking or savings accounts. I mean, I read the Bible, but I also watch the stock market at the exact same time to see how those things are doing. I give a little bit to others, but I keep a lot for myself, especially so my golden years are very golden. I pray for contentment, and then I finish bidding on something on eBay. I'm a, I'm a narrative, I'm, I'm part of this narrative. I'm a disciple, I'm a convert of scarcity. And I think we all are at one level or another. It's, it's the battle between the scare tactic of scarcity, you better take it or else, or the promise of provision from our God. And it is it something that we battle every day. What will I believe? What will I cling to? What will I live by? What will I live out? Scarcity, no golden ticket for you or abundance, there's more. That's why the story we read in Mark 6 is so important. The story of Jesus trying to feed the 5,000, not just trying, but actually doing it, it is an, an attempt, a direct assault on the scarcity mentality that the disciples were still living in at the time. See, the disciples were also converts of scarcity. We see it play out in the story. Let's walk through it quickly. In this particular text, the disciples have had a very long, very tiring day, and they're starting to get a little hangry. They just want to get like a quick bite to eat, maybe go do a Lord of the Rings like movie marathon. They just want some downtime with the Lord. Jesus says, yeah, let's go rest together. Well, wouldn't you know it, the place they choose to get away, this little hillside, it is packed with thousands and thousands and thousands of needy, hungry people. And when all their bellies start to rumble in unison, the disciples say what all of us would have said in that moment, Jesus, send these guys away so they can go get something to eat by themselves. Now this is not as ugly or as harsh as the Pharaoh's version of it, but this is scarcity mentality. 
This is the scarcity narrative living out. It's buried deep inside of them. They're not even aware of it. And that's evident in how they respond next to what Jesus says. Jesus turns to them and says, you're right, there's just not enough to go around. We need to eat and we take priority, so let's eat what we can and then we'll just send everybody else off to fend for themselves. No, what does he say? Send them away, huh? Okay, well, how about this instead? How about you give them something to eat? How about you give them something to eat? And I imagine they're thinking, what? The 12 of us? You have to be joking. In fact, in the original Greek, what Peter says there is, ain't nobody got bread for that. that that's what the Greek says. Because that was, that was really funny. <laughs> but they're saying to him, Send them away just because there's just not enough to go around. We don't have the resources or the energy or the ability to help this many people out. Scarcity, scarcity, scarcity. And yet we would have the exact same reaction. I imagine if the Lord came to us right now in this moment, what if Jesus came in this moment and said, West Bowles Church, I want you to end hunger and homelessness in the city of Denver. End it. If Jesus came to us right now and he said, I want you, West Bowles Church, to make sure there are enough placement homes and families so every kid in the foster care system is placed by the end of the week. Every single one. I don't want a single kid without a home. What if Jesus came to us and he said, West Bowles Church, I want you to ensure that every single, single parent in Littleton has enough money to make ends meet. What would we say? You're a fool, Jesus. There is no way we could pull that off. Why? Why would we respond that way? Because we're living in the scarcity narrative. And I love how Jesus responds to their excuses, their concerns. What does he say? Well, what do you have? What do you have? Jesus is more or less saying in this moment, well, just take a look around. Ask around. Be resourceful. Don't assume you don't have what it takes. Don't assume you don't have enough. You have something, don't you? A little something? Well, let's start there. But we're like, no, Jesus, uh, it's impossible. Trying to end homelessness, trying to end uh, foster care, whatever. That we're talking about the masses here, Jesus. That would take a half a year's of wage, uh, countless hours at the courthouse, uh, new shelters, huge database, enormous pools of volunteers. You don't know what you're asking. Jesus says, oh, I know exactly what I'm asking. What do you have? And put it to work. Because then something powerful is gonna happen. And Jesus is more or less saying this, I think, friends. It's not really about what you have, guys. It's about who you have. It's not about what you have. It's about who you have. Jesus is the God of creation. The beautiful six days where the God rests at the end of it. That's, that's who Jesus is. He's the God of, of, the, of the desert where manna and bread fell from heaven. He's the God of this moment of feeding the masses with five loaves of bread and two fish. That's who he is. Anything in Jesus' hands is enough. Everything in Jesus' hands is enough. What you have is more than you actually need because you got Jesus. And what Jesus does next is so important and so symbolic, and we'll end with this. Jesus takes the five loaves and the two fish, and he does several things to them. And again, it's probably five loaves of stale bread. These guys have been out in the desert all day long, and it's probably two fish that are starting to stank. 
This is like uh, chopped ingredients, right? He takes these things and he does three things. These are your marching orders as we leave this morning. First, he blesses them. He thanks God for what he has and he asks God to anoint it with his presence. That's what, that's what blessing is. Then he breaks these things, meaning he separates them from themselves, but more than that, he separates them from himself. He breaks free from the idea that this is mine. He takes it away and he breaks it. And then he shares it. He willingly and joyfully and expectantly gives it away to somebody else. Bless, break, share. That is how you live out the abundance narrative. That's how you help hurting people. That's how you solve the world's problems. Bless, break, share. From your food, to your money, to your home, to your relationships, to your imaginations, bless them, break them, share them. When you do that, my friends, everyone will have enough. Our faith is not just about us. When we start thinking that Jesus just came to save my little soul, we're not thinking big enough. Jesus came to fix this world completely and forever. And so don't think that Jesus just came to feed you with his son. Jesus came to feed everyone with his son through you. You with me? The closer we stay to Jesus, the more we bring in the economy of abundance to the world. The good news that we have, my friends, it's not just good news for us. It's good news for everyone in Littleton. The good news that we have is not just good news for us. It's good news for the entire state of Colorado. Because what we have will be blessed, will be broken, will be shared. And so it's good for everyone. It's not just good for us. See, Jesus is showing his disciples this is not about scarcity anymore. This is about abundance. And so when we gather as a church every Sunday, man, you know what we do? Amongst a lot of other things, we proclaim, we declare that the scarcity narrative is false. That is not true. What we declare is that the abundance narrative is real. The God of creation is real. We declare the God of raining down bread from heaven is real. We declare the God of the 5,000 feeding is real. That's what we declare. There's enough for everyone. Come on in if you want, because there's enough for everyone. And so I want you to ask these questions of yourself this week. What if I actually lived like the abundance narrative was true? What if I lived by blessing, breaking, and sharing all that I have and all that I am? What if the creator's generosity and abundance is actually dependent on me doing my part for this world? What if I'm the link between the hungry masses and the promises of God? What if, what if that's me right there in the middle of that place? And folks, I don't know. I don't know if Jesus can do all that with five loaves and two fish. Man, I'd love to see what he could do with some squid ink and, and, and goat brains. Actually, I'd love to see what Jesus can do with all of the resources represented in this room. I'd love to see it. I hope that you would as well. Let me pray for you. We'll get you out of here. God, we thank you that you are the God of abundance. And we're so grateful that your story began that way, that there is so much to go around, that the way you created the world, it's big enough, it's good enough, there will always be enough. Thank you for the way creation has been established. Thank you for the promise to Abraham that your desire and hope is to bless all people on the earth. 
And God, we're saddened by the time that your people spent in Egypt because many of us have spent similar time there. And the lessons they learned in Egypt, Lord, have come all the way to us now. We live under Pharaoh's scare tactic of scarcity, believing there's just not enough. There's not enough for me. There's not enough for you. There's not enough for the immigrant. There's not enough for that country over there. There's not enough for the refugees. There's just not enough. So I better get mine and hoard it. Well, that's just not right. That's not of you. And so we repent of that this morning. We just say, that's not who we want to be. We want to be like Jesus in this moment who had compassion on the masses and they were able to do something incredible for the masses. God, help us to know that we have enough, whether it's in our own home, at work, at school, in you and with you and through you, there will always be enough. In fact, there will be leftovers and extra. Help us to live in the abundance narrative even though the rest of the world doesn't. And maybe we'll be able to change the rest of the world as a result. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys for being here today. Hope you have an amazing day. Don't forget your dollar in the bin on the way out. God bless you guys. Be strong, courageous. You are the peace that calms my troubled sea. When the cares of this world die.